0: You're listening to Vibrant Visionaries, and I'm your host, Heidi Bennett. Welcome, friends, old and new. On season three of the podcast, we've expanded out onto YouTube. You can find Vibrant Visionaries at VibrantVisionaries.com, and also on the Vibrant Visionaries Network on YouTube. On Vibrant Visionaries, I often interview fun, funny, compassionate creatives, filmmakers, artists, cartoonists, comedians, musicians, all sorts of multi-creative individuals. I also like to pop on on my own and share some mindfulness tips as well to help boost your creativity and banish burnout. You can find out more about me and what I do when I'm off the mic at HeidiBennett.com. And now on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Heidi Bennett. Welcome to Vibrant Visionaries, now on YouTube at the Vibrant Visionaries Network. And as an audio podcast, everything's available at VibrantVisionaries.com. But if you're watching this, you already are here. You're ready to rock and roll with my interview with Mari Walker. Uh, Mari is a writer and a director, and we got to talk about her film that debuted this year at South by Southwest 2021, and we get right into the conversation, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about the film first, because when we get in, we're just in there talking right about it, and uh, there's not much of an intro to our conversation. So this is the synopsis for See You Then. A decade after abruptly breaking up with Naomi, Chris invites her to dinner to catch up on their complicated lives, relationships, and Chris's transition. Over the course of their one night encounter, they engage in a series of increasingly intimate and vulnerable conversations before a shocking revelation is revealed. See You Then focuses on the universal truth that no matter how much you change, a part of you will always stay the same. So this was directed by Mari Walker. The writers are Mari Walker and Kristen Uno, and you can learn more about all of this at MariWWalker.com. All right, on to the interview. Thanks for taking the time to to chat today. Thank you for having me. I watched See You Then a couple of days ago. And what really struck me, especially as the film progressed, was how realistic the characters were. They just felt like... People,
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: So, I was really curious about just the process behind writing them, the intention behind developing those characters. Anything you'd like to share around?
1: Yeah, Naomi absolutely. and Chris.
0: Yeah,
1: oh, I I love Naomi and Chris. You know, it's one of those things where, as as Chris and I were writing it, we were ourselves asking a lot of questions about femininity and womanhood. What does it mean to be a woman? How important it is to be a mother. You know, we sort of transplanted all these ideas and sort of massaged it into the story. But for characters to come to life, it requires a lot of writing and rewriting and getting to that place. And there's always this like moment where you're writing and suddenly like a a line, like a, a line will come out of nowhere. It's not even something that you thought of, but something that just sort of manifests in the ether of the universe. And then that's when I start feeling like the characters are really coming to life particularly for Kristen and I, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about that, like how, uh, how naturalistic we wanted the dialogue to be, how deep the characters we wanted, we wanted them to be, you know, and then you really fall in love with them. And then you really feel bad when you ruin their lives, you know, by, by telling these stories, but, you know, hopefully it's not the last that we'll see of Kristen Naomi with any luck.
0: Cool. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I think it brought up, just this podcast, I, I'm very self-referential. I mean, it's all about you as my interviewee, but I can't help but think of how it connected to me as well. Just like um, I think about in the 80s and 90s when I would just be out with, like, especially in this pandemic as well. Just the mm-hmm. the process of just sitting with somebody, talking for a bit, things bubbling up to the surface, the niceties falling away then taking a long walk, going to one location, then another location. Also, when you're speaking with someone who you've known forever and you feel, like I feel like Naomi already assumed, hey, I can just be real. This is how I really feel about my life right now. And I, I could see myself in both characters, which I think is always great about a film, when you can kind of relate, oh, this is me at my kind of ugliest or most... Vulnerable, and then oh, this is me when I'm feeling like I want to see the silver lining, and the oh, the w- look of all the things you have in life that are so great. And so it's like I longed for those long conversations and walks with mm. friends, and and then I would get mad at one, and then mad at the other. But it was really like a reflection of you know self judgment and stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just wanted to share that. It it Thank I just you. became enwrapped in in the characters as things went along. It was cool.
1: Oh, that's so lovely to hear. Thank you. I that that's uh, that's always one of those things where we when Kristen and I sat down to write it, I was like, I want to make sure that I hope that audiences can come away and say they were both right and they were both wrong. That somebody could say, like, well, yeah, but Chris did this, but then Naomi did this, but then Chris said that, but then Naomi said that. And you know, to really, to really give that like equal footing for both of the characters really was important. And and there is a lot of that too. I, I definitely relate to what you said because I would say that for for me, both of the characters are parts of me. You know, as much as I definitely, I mean, Puya definitely pulled a lot of me for Chris, I mean, the green jacket, you know, the whole whole get up, the nervousness, all the you know, the the awkwardness and all that whole thing. But at the same time, I also have Naomi's stubbornness and her anger and her fierceness. They're all like a part of me, and so it's like it was kind of like sort of taking Chris and I both and sort of splitting us down the middle and pulling us apart, and then like taking those separate elements and. The, and then, of course, Puya and Lynn just absolutely ran with it because they're geniuses. So they made my job so easy.
0: Yeah, they were very, very, very good. And I loved the intimacy of the way it was shot as well. I felt like, you know, you're just kind of hanging out with them and and the way that the camera would really linger on their faces and you get to see their subtle subtle acting choices and stuff. It was really cool.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, that's that was something Jordan... Uh, Jordan Perot, our cinematographer, and I talked a lot about was kind of like this formalism that we were building into the story and making it feel like almost like a studio picture that was sort of lost like 40 or 50 years ago, but starring this like subversive take of Asian-Americans and trans representation. But we really did want to spend that time like really like falling into this formalism that we feel like we haven't seen a lot of in cinematography these days. You know, everything's very handheld, naturalistic, Terrence Malick, which is super great. And I love it. But there's also this room for this other type of filmmaking that I think is going to become more prevalent as a consequence of the pandemic. You know, fewer crews, smaller things like chamber pieces between two characters, Malcolm and Marie being one of the examples lately.
0: So how did this film, what, what were like the first seeds of this? What, where, how, where did the idea come from?
1: I've always wanted to make a film since I was in high school. That's always been my dream. And anybody that's known me for that long knows that I I would usually scream and yell about it at least once every couple of days. But one of the things that's that's hard is like making your first film, being trans, being Asian American. It was really hard to get the financing for the scripts that I wanted to, the stories that I wanted to tell. And it got to that place where I was like, I really felt like I needed to write something that was very small and intimate, a chamber piece between these two characters. And so it was sort of born out of that manic fear of like not having the opportunity and and having to make it for myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, through that process, like doing that art therapy of like Kristen and I sort of taking these things that were happening in our lives or that we were feeling or thinking or sort of thought experiments that I'd had sort of throughout my time transitioning like what I felt like I could see from like every point of view. And then there are others that I can only see through my own prism and my own point of view of how I would be affected by it. And I think that that is where the kind of the genesis of a voice comes from the genesis of like telling a very personal story. If it's something that you're like, okay, well, this would cause me to like do a mental pretzel. And if it caused me to do a mental pretzel, then I hope that that will allow audiences to do that. And I think I really wanted to challenge everybody in the audience when it comes to like, these ideas of femininity, of parenthood, of all these things, and how the audience receives it and interprets it, but also how these characters receive it and interpret it, and also how the people that you're watching it uh, receive it and interpret it, and and that and alone has been really great. In the very limited amount of times that I've had, I've heard about in-person screenings that it did generate the discussion, which is really like the dream, right? For for a filmmaker or for a storyteller in general, it's like, oh my god, people like actually want to talk about this and interpret it and like ask what it's about. Like that's the ultimate dream.
0: So it premiered at South by Southwest this year, virtually. So were there in-person screenings as well then?
1: There weren't any in-person screenings, but there were some friends who kind of, you know, went rogue and set up a projector and like played it for their friends, which is just super great. But yeah, that was such a unique experience. Like I've, I've been sort of doing like not having films in, but participating in the festival circuit over the past year because of the pandemic. For an audience member, I think it's the dream i mean as much as obviously the dream is to go into a theater and have that experience with the audience and make be so moved and taken by that but on the flip side it's really great to be able to like binge as many movies as possible like last year at outfest i think i watched like 130 films because i just sat down every day and i was like i'm gonna watch these like eight films and these 12 shorts and like this nobody's gonna stop me so there was like a great advantage to that for south by where it was like anybody could watch the movies at any point in time and it was so beautiful and the films were so great and from an, from a filmmaker perspective, it was really beautiful. Like they had this like live chat. So people could like comment on the film like after they finished watching it. And just the reactions that we got were so touching and beautiful and meaningful and heartfelt. And you could tell that it really actually affected them. And then we'd chat for a little bit. And then I do my like little movie recommendations for all the films that they should see at South by. And then I think that was great too, because it's still like the whole thing about festivals and the beauty of them is community. You know, it's not just about watching movies, but it's about uh, about creating that sense of like being meeting people that you're going to work with for the rest of your lives, you know. And so there were there were still advantages for that, which made it a really beautiful experience. And we we're playing with a bunch of amazing films that I hope will have an opportunity to screen at other festivals. My God. Yeah. Off the top of
0: your head, what are some of the standout ones that you that you are recommending to folks?
1: I got 20 that were my favorites. Recovery, language lessons, the beauty president, Swan Song, The Fabulous Filipino Brothers, Opera, Lily Topples the World, Kid Candidate, Nuevo Rico, Beyond the Model, Soak, Femme, Trade Center, Puss, Islands. Oh, Islands, Potato Dreams of America, The Unlikely Fan, Red Taxi, Learning, Tag Along with Kyla and Alien on Stage
0: awesome. were some of my
1: favorites. Cool. Oh my God. Alien on Stage was so much fun. It's like this, it's like Brigsby Bear meets Waiting for Guffman. With these like British theater troops, like desperately trying to get this alien, this production of Alien on stage. And it's so funny and so relatable for anybody who's done art. You know, it's like trying to get that group together and wanting to scream at the top of your lungs sometimes. (laughs) That
0: sounds great. Thank you so much. For anybody listening, I just was looking at South by's website, you know, and you can just go through and look at the bios and see where you can find the films and all that stuff. So people can just, you know re-listen to this and jot those down and see what strikes yes. their fancy
1: <laughs> hell yes hell yes i love that
0: just out of curiosity where are you uh where are you at right now physically i mean uh, are you what area of the country are you
1: in <laughs> oh totally i'm in uh i'm in west hollywood uh in los angeles well i take the back more miracle mile i would say I've, I've been criticized sometimes for saying i live in West Hollywood because my address can say West Hollywood, but technically I live in Miracle Mile. So I live right across the street from the Grove, from the Pacific Theater there, which I miss so dearly. Mm. Oh my God. I think about that place every day. (laughs) So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I I snuck over to the Century City to go see Boogie, which was great, but it was just so wonderful going back into a theater uh, and just like smelling that stale popcorn smell. And then like, you know, the I don't know. like I started screaming as I like I, I ran in and I started dancing and then I started screaming. and I, I think i I scared a few of the the employees there, and I apologized to them, you know, because uh, it was not intentional. It was really just pure excitement that I just I was like, oh, finally in a theater, sat in the front row. And then, of course, totally forgot that there were going to be subtitles for the film. my head was just like (laughs) felt like a tennis match trying to catch all of them in a24 or whatever that was
0: that's awesome yeah i can't wait to go back out and start experiencing things around other people kind of close to other people and just yeah definitely films for sure Uh, yeah Uh,
1: so true
0: i'm curious what you have faced out on your shelf
1: i got quite a few quite a few great movies going on here i got like the uh Guillermo del Toro trilogy from the Criterion Collection, shameless plug. But uh, my God, I mean, if anybody hasn't seen The Devil's Backbone, they are missing out because that movie is incredible. Uh, and then I got some Murnau, Borsage and Fox. Uh, they were uh, uh, some of the big Murnau did um, Sunrise, which was like one of the famous. It was nominated for Best Artistic Achievement at the first Academy Awards. It's really stunning film. Really interesting thing about that character is that he, for the director to feel like he was portraying grief and anger and sadness, they actually attached lead boots to him. So when he's in this, like, he's he's in this boat and he's walking towards his wife, but he's sort of like lumbering around, but it's got this, oh, it's so good. And like this, this rear projection thing that they do is just incredible. And then, oh my gosh, Saving Private Ryan and the burbs, I, Tom Hanks, it's my little Tom Hanks corner, I guess. <laughs> nice. I got some some three colors, some Fritz Four below, one from the heart, some Tree of Life from Malik, You know, it's uh, that's my little movie den. I feel like I uh, I always call my apartment either uh, the Fortress of Solitude, like my Fortress of Solitude, or or my Gollum Cave, which is usually <laughs> how I describe it more. Where I like, I'm like the sun, ah! and I'm like, no, I gotta like, I gotta watch these five more movies tonight. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, but it's been great and and during the whole pandemic that was like one of the one of the great things that for all the horrible horrible things that happened to so many people during that pandemic I was so fortunate in that I had the movie to edit you know while I was working just like really ad nauseum like just ran with it but also I was like well if I'm stuck at home and I can't go out and I can't see any my friends can't go out and see movies I can't travel which was my plan like after the filming I was like I called up all my friends I was like guess what you're going to have to deal with me for a month. I'm going to go crush with you because you know I had seen my friends' kids in years. I hadn't seen my relatives for like three years because I was trying to make this movie. Then of course the pandemic happened. So without all those things, I was like, well, what can I do that would still give me joy and also educate me? So I decided to watch the rest of all the Best Picture nominees and winners from Oscar history. So altogether, cumulatively, I think it's like 565 films. So I watched about... 350 of them, I think, during that time. And it was so great, super demoralizing for first-time filmmakers just to warn them. Like, that's a very punishing exercise to do because i was like watching the greatest films then i was like what did i make nothing oh i'm worthless oh god you know just like tried desperately to to, to fix this mis- this bloop that i had made on set you know by like not getting this coverage that i needed but it was it was great because it was like it was so wonderful to be surrounded by all the, the best of the best of american cinema and just really like running with it and seeing what they had to offer and it was beautiful i mean there's so many films that like we don't talk about anymore that are that are part of the Oscars that are legendary, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think, I can't think of what it is, and it, maybe I'll remember and can tag it on the end of this episode later, but we're seeing something that was, yeah, sort of a missing one, or I hadn't seen it in a long time, or maybe I'd never seen it, that was a classic, and I was like, oh, this influenced this other one in this way, you know, That's so uh, that's always fun, too, to kind of see how that happens and yeah there's certain ones that just sort of fall through the cracks i feel like still we only you know yes things have improved but still it seems like there's a billion podcasts or a billion things written about or a billion retrospectives about the same 20 or 50 movies (laughs) there's so many more Mm -hmm. out there
1: were there certain ones that yeah surprised you or just oh there? i mean marty marty was a big was a big one for me that one really blew me away I think it was called, let me let me make sure I'm I'm saying the name right, but I think it's called Sounder.
0: Is that from the 70s?
1: I believe so. Yeah, and that one was great. That was like one of those early um there's that I think that actually was something that I that I was I was heartened by, but also disappointed by. And that there's like that movie, there's like Mississippi Burning, like all these films, social for lack of a better term, social justice films that were really beautiful that just haven't been focused on when you look at the pantheon of movies like I think Mississippi Burning came out I mean in the 80s but it was kind of around that period where it was like Chariots of Fire was winning and Amadeus and those like those films are super great but there's like something about Mississippi Burning that's like as much as obviously it's a a story about racial injustice from the prism of two white guys at the same time there's stuff in that that like the music Pacula's directing like there's stuff in that that like made my blood boil and I was like how have I not seen this movie before but it's because nobody talks about it like you said i mean there's only like these 20 films that everybody talks about in the, the last you know few years which is super great but that progress has always been there it's just been slow yeah as all as all marches towards progress are unfortunately
0: speaking of music i noticed the music as well and that uh robert Allaire was
1: yes Did
0: so the score how did that uh come about he's awesome i've actually i had him bob. on the podcast before No way! <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh my god
1: i love bob oh my god he's like my um there are a few people that you meet in your career who you feel like are like artistic soulmates and 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 bob's one of them uh i met bob when i was working on a film a short documentary i did called the soul of a tree And it was like one of those meetings that you, where you, like, we sat down, we started talking about like, you know, I don't know, scoring and music. And I was like, Oh, I love, you know, these, these kinds of, you know, like John William, you know, Giacchino, all those things. And he's like, yeah, those are great. But you know, like I like experimental stuff. And he was talking about, he said something like he was using razor blades on like violin strings. And I was like, no, I have to work with you (laughs) then. Like that's just all automatically the thing. Uh, And he scored this just, stunning score for the soul of a tree we had like a live recording from i think it was from belfast i hope uh um if if my memory is serving me it was so cool and it was like it just felt like deep and this like this raw like everybody talked about it and then somehow bob is able to like he's sort of like jordan in that way he's able to like tap into something about what i want to say and i don't even have to just use words to actually say it and and he he also composed swim which is my other short he composed that if, if my memory's right, he composed that in a closet in New York because he had to, like, have, like, you know, a certain level of, like, silence around him, and he was scoring it for, like, you know, like a day while he was working on this other gig, but just uh, another beautiful score. And, and, yeah, I mean, it's, like, one of those things, too, where it's, like, I think I only had, like, two changes to make on the score for See You Then. We had sort of pulled temp, temp in that i wasn't very keen on i was like well this this will work for now but this is not what i want but that last that last track that he does leading into the end credits i think is some of the best work he's done there's something about the, and the way that he was talking about like he uses click track and like or these clicking things inside and like and then every time i listen to it i hear like a different level of the music and like that in itself is rare because usually like most compositions are very in your face like to the point that that to work with a composer that's able to, like, go into that nuance and dive in further and further and deeper and deeper in, it's like, pff, I mean, a gift. And and anybody that's listening to this that wants to hire, that needs a composer, please hire Robert Allaire. He is an absolute fucking genius.
0: <laughs> well, before we wrap up today, what um, what is... Okay, you put something out in a festival, it, it, it premieres, and, you know, then... What happens after that uh, for you, for yeah.
1: the, for the project? That's one of the greatest challenges is that I think a lot of times filmmakers like spend so much time focused on getting the festival run and like focus so much on like making that happen. It is one leg in a long marathon of about another two or three years that you're going to be committed to working on this film even if you get it distributed through a company, you're still going to have to do press. You're going to have to do Q and A's. You're going to have to do panels. You're going to have to post about it. You have to be popular on social media to make sure people watch it. So your work's never really done. I think having South by was such a huge uh, boost for us. I mean, obviously like the the festival's incredible. And like the prestige of that alone is such a huge thing. But one, one thing that we found that's been really interesting is that um as a consequence of south by doing the pass only situation so y- you had to have a pass to be able to watch any of the films it almost created almost like a limited release paywall sort of thing mm-hmm. where it's almost like we we're we we're we we're doing our new york and la and now we're expanding out to like portland and chicago and all that stuff by like releasing we we just uh are screening at a festival called disorient the disorient film festival uh, the tickets are $9 and, and it comes with a short, which is really amazing called K Next Life Around that I didn't direct. Dave Yim directed it and he's amazing. You know, I think, I think it's a matter of like sustaining that run, which is one of the biggest challenges. Uh, I've noticed even like with social media, I've been like, okay, like we need to be careful about parceling out interviews or reviews to make sure that we sustain it and not just like dump it out all at once. Uh, that's definitely advice I would give to filmmakers, but also, just knowing that like, you know, it's we're, we're heading into this place, particularly with online, where we're heading to sort of like hybridization of festivals and releases because everybody can watch it. You know, it's like in some ways that 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 limited run New York, L.A. thing still exists if you have it at South by because not everybody's going to go to Austin, right, to be able to watch the film. So what I've seen a lot of filmmakers do is is basically like try to get into a bigger festival and then hope that they could kind of bank on screening fees to be able to carry them through the rest. A lot of times festivals, if they hear about your film, they're like, oh, we're so excited. We'd love to screen it at our festival. And then they'll pay you $200, or something like that to be able to screen it. So profit could still actually be happening throughout the festivals. If you're fortunate enough to get into a big festival, the profit profit line can still exist. The challenge with that is that once you start like if somebody watches the film at disorient are they going to rent it when it comes out or are they going to buy it when it comes out you know because the, the 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 theater experience allowed for that difference in in right you could pay 12 dollars to go see it in theaters but then you could rent it for six dollars on itunes at home and watch it with your friends or like watch it again reevaluate it see it in this different context yeah you know, you're pausing it you're typing on the phone or whatever right. right but when you're giving that same experience twice how are we able to still sustain that audience and, and that's one of the, I mean, to be honest, that's still what we're, what we're trying to come to terms with and figure out how to do. But that is something that I think we're going to continue to be facing as independent filmmakers, is figuring out a way to create some sort of hybridization of the festival theatrical rollout, maybe happening simultaneously to certain degrees, mm-hmm. uh, even internationally, to make sure that you're able to just, you know, keep a profit line going, you know, as much as like all this is art and it's so beautiful, it's also business. And, and in the end, if you're spending anything over $10,000, you're, you're investing in something and, and you need to make sure that that investment is, is being paid off properly.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. I I really appreciate it. It's been a total blast talking with you and yeah, it's just really fun to just, even through Zoom, we can connect. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Even through Zoom, we can connect. (laughs) Um so yeah. Oh let's see. I know that you have a website which is mariwalker.com. Is there anywhere else you'd like listeners to uh join you on social media or anything like that? Where, yeah, where would you like
1: I'm to I'm, I'm 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 such a Luddite. I finally plunged and and jumped onto Instagram after all these years. I love it. That's usually where I'm at. Uh if y'all wanna find me, uh direct message me, DM me. At Mari W Walker with two W's. And I apologize to everyone in advance. And same with the website too. It's very confusing because there is no like Mari Walker. There's Mariwalker.com, but MariWalker.com is taken by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I had to do Mari Gotcha.
0: I'll, I'll share. Yeah, like but uh, the but show that was confusing. confusing.
1: That. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> well, I I just want to say I it's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure talking. This has been so much fun. Yeah, and thanks. and thank you for having me. And 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 thank you for for you know like doing a plug for bob you know
0: yeah like yeah. We, need,
1: we need that guy to get more stuff <laughs> all the time all the time it's amazing
0: his instagram's pretty great too it's it's every once in a while but if you like you know cute cat content cute guy content, oh yeah you know oh
1: my god hilarious <laughs> that, that guy on shadow it's uh it's it's love true love <laughs>
0: All right, Mari, thank you so much again, and I'll share all the links in our show notes. See you then is the film, and I'm also one of those people who I will follow up, you know, once your film is distributed and out there, you know, I'll I'll get the emails and the notifications, and I'll be following you on Instagram, so I'll make sure to let everybody know where they can find it.
1: Thank you. I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: thanks again. Thanks for listening to Vibrant Visionaries. This is Heidi Bennett, and this is my beloved podcast. I produce it, I host it, I book it, and have fantastic editing done by David Smith. Thank you so much, David. Find everything at VibrantVisionaries.com, including a link to our new YouTube channel, Vibrant Visionaries Network. There's even a link to our Patreon where you can join the Vibrant Visionaries community and support the podcast. You can also find me at HeidiBennett.com. Thanks for listening and ciao for now.